Hey everybody, welcome to the But Why Not podcast. This is your host, Mary Elizabeth. This podcast is all about discovering those reasons as to why you might say, but why not me in your life and how to learn strategies, techniques, tools, hacks to overcome that and be able to truly live the life that you want and deserve. Before I forget, because I am an ADHDer and that is most definitely why I do, make sure that you hit subscribe, you share this podcast with a friend, you leave a five-star review because I have gotten so many messages, phone calls, uh, I mean smoke signals, everything about how much this has helped people and that's really always been my goal in life is to help others, right? So you can find me on Facebook at Mary Elizabeth Ryan, you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at the only Mary Elizabeth, or you can find a hashtag that is now branded as mine as that ADHD girl. All right, so I'd love to hear from you. Make sure you share this to your stories so that I can celebrate you as well. Before we begin, I just want to let you know that there are some sensitive topics around mental health in this episode. So please, if you're easily triggered by conversations surrounding mental health, please listen with caution. This is an incredible episode, but I really want you to listen safely. So if you or a loved one are struggling with mental health, please make sure that you reach out and seek help. Hey everybody, I'm so excited for this episode. Let me introduce you to my friend Rob. He is a 43-year-old entrepreneur. He has served 24 years in the fitness industry before moving on to help health and fitness experts learn how to become a business business athlete online. He formed Boss Coaches, a company in 2019, which has now helped clients in 20 different countries escape the one-on-one in-person hamster wheel. He's been voted the world's best dad by his son, who is 10, and his daughter, who is 2. He's also been married to his wife, Lou, for 13 years. For the longest time, he hid who he was and his shortcomings. He suffered his entire life with undiagnosed ADHD as well as Tourette's syndrome. He says it held him back for so many years until he actually realized they were his superpowers. Once he knew how to use them... They helped him make a ridiculous, unique, and attracted person to find his dream audience. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the But Not podcast. My name is Mary Elizabeth, and I'm here with my friend Rob. I'm so excited to have this episode. Um, Rob and I kind of met through a podcast Facebook group, and I've learned a bit about his story, and I'm really excited to dive into that with all of you today. So, Rob, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Well, listen, first of all, thank you for inviting me. It's nice to be here. Um, I'm probably going to learn about as much from you tonight as you're going to learn from me. So it's uh, it's cool to hang out and let's see what we let's see what we can get into. Absolutely. So the whole show is kind of about uh, but why not moment in your life. So situations and um, kind of moments come up and we're just like, man, like, but why not? Like, why can't I make a better income? Or why can't I have that? And so sometimes people in that situation just don't move forward. And then there's other people that are like you and I that are like, okay, how can I change my situation? And how can I really achieve what I want to achieve? And so I'm really excited to go through some of your story with you. Um, I know that you are a 40 year, sorry, 43 year old entrepreneur who has served the industry for over 24 years, which is incredible. So why don't you kind of walk us through your background, what you started with and how you ended up into the online business space? Sure. So I never knew I was going to get into business. I didn't even know what business was, you know, like this is my 28th year as a coach and 23, nearly 24 in the fitness industry which is, you know, crazy to think about it because I think we, even in our 40s, we still think of ourselves in our 20s, you know, we still feel like that sometimes. It's it's crazy. 
I I think it really all started for me when um, there's so many ways you can go back, but one pivotal moment for me, I was always very entrepreneurial. I was always doing things. I was when I was a kid, I was always um, stealing my mum's lawnmower to cut the neighbours' grass and um, the car wash to wash their cars and everything else. I don't know if you can remember back to when you used to collect like the old. Um, uh, like lemonade juice bottles, the, like they were glass bottles. Mm-hmm. Where you could reef, you could um, you could hand them in, and you would get like in the UK, you get like ten pence for every bottle that you handed in. We used to do that when they were building like a local bypass road in the area, and like we got money that way. And I was always into something like that. But the big moment for me was when I was a manager of a, a Bannatyne's health club in the UK. It's owned by a UK entrepreneur, Duncan Bannatyne. He's worth about four, five hundred million. He's also Scottish. He's done really well for himself. And I was working there as the manager and personal trainer at the time. And I got a new PT client one day. This guy's name was Douglas. He was from Glasgow. And Douglas was one of the most fascinating people that I had ever met. He was so arrogant. It was unbelievable. But it was attractive to me because... I'd never seen anybody like this before. I came from the military and disciplined and everything was, you know, totally different. And I was fascinated by this guy's freedom, not the money he had, but by his freedom, how he could wear the uniform that he wanted to wear, you know, his suit and come into the gym when he wanted and go to work when he wanted and everything else. And here I was the complete opposite, being told when I could have my lunch break, what I had to wear, when to take holidays and all of those things. I was fascinated by this guy. And he didn't know it at the time, but he became my first ever mentor. Um, and I didn't pay him a single penny. In fact, if anything, I, I probably pushed myself on like befriending him, kind of stalked him a little bit in a good way, hung out with him. And he, he taught me the ropes about business. And I can remember one night standing as the duty manager in this gym and thinking, if Douglas can do this, so can I. Because he was very successful, but he was by no means intelligent. And I was thinking, well, there's no level of intelligence involved in this. Surely I can do this. Mm. At the time, I'm getting paid about 1500 bucks per month. <laughs> for 40, right. hour, yeah, 40 hours a month, right? 40 hours mm-hmm. per week. Uh, 40 hours per week, 1500 bucks a month. I'm thinking, I can do this. And that's kind of really where it all started. And we can go into, if you like, you know, where we went to. But that's that's probably the main catalyst of... Um, why I started down this whole business road. Yeah, that's incredible. I'd never heard of him, but I'm really excited to like kind of look into him and look at his story. I think there's so many people, especially people that don't even know us, that have such an influence over us. And so many people talk about, you know, who's your hero. But I think that that word hero kind of really switches into mentor and it really allows us to grow as people. And then through this industry and through that personal development and, you know, investment into ourselves, we might actually get to meet them. And I think that that's one of the ultimate end goals that is so great when you get to actually see that person and be like, you have no idea who I am, but you've got to change my life. Absolutely. I can remember yeah. the first time I met that Duncan Bannatyne when he he owned 65 gyms across the UK, still does. And he wrote a book at the time. Um, I think in the States, you guys have um, a shark tank, I think it is. We yeah, have, yep. yeah, we have Dragon's Den. So it's like a similar concept. Okay. Duncan Bannatyne is one of the dragons in the Dragon's Den. And he'd done that for, I don't know, best part of a decade. Well, he brought out a book and he was doing a tour of the clubs and he was getting everybody to write, um, to uh, 
um, give his autograph and sign the book because this is back in like 2004 or something, you know. So social media is not like heard of or anything yet. Right. He said to me, he says, what do you want me to write in the book? Now, of course, I'm one of his employees at the time. And I said to a future millionaire <laughs> and and he looked at me and he laughed. And um, well, yeah, I've, I've not done a million in the business I'm doing right now. But of course, across a lot of the businesses that I've ran, I have. So, um, yeah, it was an interesting moment for sure. That's it's amazing. And yeah. I have to look that up. I love watching Shark, uh, Shark Tank because I get so many ideas, you know. There's yeah. so many great entrepreneurs that whether they make it through or not, you get to learn from them. And um, I remember listening to uh, another mentor and she was talking about how when she first started, she has no, she had no idea how to, you know, speak in sales language or more or less speak in a manner to serve people. And she used to watch QVC. And she would learn how they talked, right? And she would talk and and she learned how to articulate those things. And I think that those are some of the things that really, really help us move forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. You can, you can learn from things that you don't even realize you're learning from. You know, it's, there's, there's so many lessons to be learned along the way. Oh, absolutely. So I kind of want to go back. I had looked at, you have a post pinned on your Facebook feed and it really was powerful and really spoke to me for quite a few reasons, but I kind of want to go back to your childhood for a second to kind of unfold how some of these events may have, or for surely did impact how you move forward for, to where you are now. So it says in the post that you lost your dad to suicide when you were 12. Mm-hmm. And for me, that really, really hit home because I call him my second dad, but when I worked in the ER, one of the physicians that I worked with was truly like my second father. And we lost him to suicide to his battle with mental health in, um, 2020. Yes. 2020. Mm-hmm. And, um, something like that to go through at any age, I think really shapes your future. And so I'd love for you to kind of talk about how that impacted you as a child and how you think that it translated into how you are as an adult now, especially being a dad. Yeah. It's an interesting thing. You know, it's something I've always, um, it's affected me in different ways throughout the years. So when it first happened, I was 12 at the time. My dad was 35. It, it didn't really, I didn't know what I was meant to feel. You know, was I meant to cry? Was I meant to be upset? I wasn't sure how to, there was a lot of things going on subconsciously and that, that um, showed my behavior. But I I never really showcased that I, here I am, this little sad boy or whatever else, you know, because I didn't really know what I was missing. And um, it wasn't until I became a lot older that I started to realize, oh, all these things that happened in my childhood, in my earlier days was actually because of this. So like, you know, when I'm this kid sitting at school, so if you imagine this, my dad dies in the August, the 9th of August, 1992, I finished junior school, so in the UK we do like primary school for seven years and then high school for six years. I finished my seven years of primary school in the end of July or middle of July, something like that, and I'm ready to start senior school, high school in August. So brand new, like a massive, big moment in my life. And all my report cards, I never knew this at the time, but my mum kept all my report cards, and maybe a year or so ago I actually read them back. I was reading them with my wife. 
And she's a psychotherapist and psychologist, and she was basically saying this is like no surprise. So all my report cards were Robert is easily distracted. Robert is a nice kid, but seems like he's in another world. Robert was trying to work out how to deal with all of this shit that had just been laid on him. Robert didn't even know that. You know? Mm-hmm. So when everybody's sitting there being this academic, a fellow ADHD, you'll get this as well. I mm-hmm. went through the whole ADHD thing at the time. I didn't know what even ADHD was, you know? And all these kids are sitting like here writing to get their work done and get finished for this exam or whatever it may be before the, the, the study finishes. And I'm sitting looking out the window and dreaming about different things. I'm almost like sitting, they're all sitting in a box and I'm sitting looking outside of the box. I didn't know that was that was lending itself towards entrepreneurship and doing things different. And I do now. I didn't mm-hmm. then. It wasn't really until I got a lot older and I started to analyze things a bit more and think, okay, what did I miss out in here? And then, of course, when I became a father myself, well, that was huge for me. But it's an interesting area because because I didn't have my dad, sometimes I can overcompensate. So sometimes I can love them too much. Yep. You know, maybe wrap them up in cotton wool too much, whereas I've just got to just let them fly a little bit. So... It was a weird time, a real weird time. And um, it probably took me between the ages of 35 to maybe 40 to to deal with the situation because it was a suicide over a broken relationship and everything. And I had a lot of hate and anger and resentment towards his wife at the time. Mm-hmm. And I had to let go of all of that. I had to let go of all of those negative emotions because it wasn't serving anybody. Yeah. I had to step up and become a better version of myself, you know, and... I've never felt better since I dealt with that. So it's really interesting from this kid who was 12, didn't really deal with it until he was 40. So I don't know if anybody's watching or listening to this right now or later on, where you've maybe been through something similar or going through something similar. Grief can happen in lots of different ways and at lots of different moments of time. And I think there's no proper way of dealing with it. It's just the way you want to deal with it and when you want to process it. I don't know if that makes sense. No, absolutely. And I think that that, like, one, I don't think anything surrounding mental health is talked about enough, but also the stages of grief can come at any point in time. And whether you consider it PTSD or you just consider it a trauma trigger, there are so many of those situations that occurred, especially from what is considered a traumatic event at that point in your life that all of a sudden when you're 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, that all of a sudden something happens and you, you just like get hit and there's this like massive like wave of what the fuck just happened pretty much. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, uh, and you know, so this is what I, you know, as I was diagnosed, so you mentioned ADHD, I was diagnosed two years ago at the age of 31. I had no idea. Looking back, things make so much sense, right? You kind of like look back after you learn about these things and you're like, Oh, wow. (laughs) Right. Kind of like that looking outside the box, you know, math was not something that I like, don't eat. I don't even want to like talk about equations, right. My brain shuts off, but you give me a camera or you give me something to do that's creative. And I'm like, Oh, let's go. I could hyper-focus for days. Yeah. You know? And so as a 12 year old, did you, or at least thinking back, do you think that you had or there was any resources 
that were provided to you or talked to you about to kind of help you through that mental health journey as a young kid? Yeah, this this was 1992, so yeah, absolutely not. This was something where the family didn't even talk about it. You know, we... I can remember once once it happened, we we done the we done the whole burial thing and everything else, and we all basically had like a the after show. Do you know, we all go for sandwiches and drinks and talk about it and share some moments and whatever. And I can just remember it being a room of adults drinking alcohol and eating sandwiches. And I didn't really know was this a party? Is this like a like what is this? Like you know, I was I was a young twelve, and. Um, Yes, strange, strange time, but there was no there was no talking about it in our house, in our family. We just kind of brushed it under the carpet. We went in like a little mini weekend, and I think that was meant for us to really just, my, me and my sister, to forget about the situation, you know? And we literally never spoke about it at all. So, I mean, my mum, you know, God bless her, she, she's still alive, she's still with us today, and she's a great person, but I could never talk to her about it because it's just a, it's like a taboo subject. Like we just don't go there. And I think not just for me, for like, you know, who's left behind or anybody who's left behind from suicide, but also the person that actually commits the act. Even now, I don't think there's as much as what there could be, you know, in terms of support. There's always, there's a lot more now there is, of course. Mm-hmm. But it's one of those things, suicide, where the person's so low that they feel like they can't reach out for help. And I I really think it's not about the person reaching out for help. I think it's about the support network noticing the signs. Mm -hmm. You know, because they, they, they don't want help to a degree. Some do, some don't. People need to notice it. So, yeah, for me at 12 years old, there was no support. Yeah, and it was... It wasn't until later on in life that I done therapy and, you know, went through therapy and worked out all my issues and, um, yeah, later on in life in 40. So it was, yeah, a long time. Yeah, I, I don't think, and I truly think as well, even as a female, I think looking, there are less support systems, especially back then, but for men going through a mental health journey. And I think mm-hmm. that there is so much pressure and stigma around, you know, a man has to be tough and can't cry and can't show emotion. And that was kind of that generational thing that any type of, even if the person doesn't understand what's happening in their mind, they don't feel like they could even reach out for fear of losing their job, for fear of being judged by their family. So, so many different things. And I think that that plays a role. And so kind of before we go into the next part of your journey, after you've gone through therapy and and healing, because I don't think that healing is, you know, I've talked about it and it's over. I think that it's something that you still continue to do, even if you've come out of therapy or what have you. But how did you not having that support and it not being understood at your age when you went through something, how did that translate into your life as a father? And how have you been able to, like, are there things that you've kind of put in place in your family that allows that conversation to happen or know that it's okay to talk about it. Yeah, that's interesting. I, a lot of my life is based off of a comparison to how I was brought up. So my mom and dad split up when I was five um, because of my dad's infidelities and I'm sure there was other things going on as well. 
And, you know, I can remember things like my mum throwing the wedding ring out the window at him and him coming in like a Saturday night and beating up her boyfriend and blood being everywhere. I can still remember all those images. And, yeah, those were those are memories that, you know, you never really forget. So a lot of my parenting as a, as a father is related to do, almost doing the complete opposite of what I seen, what I went through. So beyond that point, I then had a stepfather in my life, but he was never really a dad to me. I never had a father figure in my life. In fact, we always make a joke about it in my house. My wife always makes a joke that, that I can't do DIY. And I can't do DIY because I was never taught these things. I never had that father-son thing passed down. It's perhaps why I maybe gravitated towards the army. You know, I was a British soldier and I then trained soldiers as a physical training instructor. And in my early days, there was always a point to prove. You know, I, I had to be this masculine figure. Yeah. I was always into something physical and I was always into either boxing or MMA or something. And um, when I became a dad, it was totally different. So really now, for, like for me and my little boy, my little girl here now 11 and 2, it's really about just giving them the things that I never had, but being conscious. That, and, and I don't mean things, I mean presence. I always say to them that there's a difference between presence and presence. So a lot yeah. of people like, yeah, a lot of people love their children, their grandkids, whatever, just with gifts, with presence. And what yeah. the kid really wants is presence. I always say that a kid spells love, T-I-M-E. A kid doesn't see presence. They don't see like how much money you've got. They see the time that you spend with them. And that's the thing that I missed and I never had. Um, it, it has, of course, made me a much stronger and resilient person. You know, I'm, I'm quite hard to break mentally. You know, I've become quite strong because yeah. of that. Um, but it's, it's allowed me to be a great dad to my kids, you know, mm-hmm. and, and show them the things that they... They, they basically couldn't go through what I went through based on how they've been brought up. They've been brought up really well. So yeah. there's been a lot of good that's came from it. You know, amongst all that turmoil as I was a kid and that sadness, mm-hmm. yeah. there's always something good comes out of it. And I always think that the the universe is always whispering to us. So although that was a challenge and a, a down part of my life, you, you can be a victim or, you know, or you can do something about it. You can yeah. be better or better. I chose to be better instead of better. So... I think it's a good thing for my kids that I get to step up and be a better dad for them. So there's always a positive side to it, I think. I think that that's such an inspirational and like purposeful way to look at things because you do have two choices. You can just wallow is the wrong word, but you know, just kind of stay in that, you know, and, or you can look at it from there are no positive or negative experiences, just learning experiences. I heard Eric Borey say that one time and it was fascinating because there are only learning experiences as long as you have, or as long as you're willing to put in that work on yourself. And it's interesting. You said presence versus presence because with my stepson literally just turned nine on Sunday. And um, instead of gifts this year, his mom took him to um, a water park with a friend. And so they got to have a ball and they, you know, played in and they did all this stuff and, you know, we got him some little stuff, you know, cause they do the gaming stuff. He's an Xbox kid, you know, he loves that. But also, you know, like last night, my mom, my mom had gotten him a board game. And as an ADHD or if there's more than like two or three directions, like I, man, <laughs> like my head explodes. 
right? Mm -hmm. But last night, my husband sat down with him and they played this hunting fishing game. And I was there and kept score. And I think that those are the, the key memories, like you said, that presence versus presence, that you have your work life and you incorporate that, but you also make the time so that they can feel that connection. And then they learn what you didn't have then that you can pass on to them. Exactly, exactly. I was actually having a joke with my, my son the other day about it, where the the area I was brought up in, when my mum and dad split up, my mum moved to like a, a pretty rough council estate kind of area, and that's where I was brought up. And I sometimes take him back round, and I took him round last week, and I said to him, I was like, dude, all due respect, like, you would die here. Like, you could not have... And, and I said that to him because, like, you've been brought up so well He's got such great manners. He's a compassionate little soul. He cares for everybody. He's got a bad temper, but he's, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's 11, right? Who's not at that age? He's almost a teenager, yep. but he would just, he, he would not survive because he's not street smart enough. He would just get eaten alive. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, I'm thankful that that's the case because yeah. he's never going to have to be there in that situation. And he's got, he's got the best of everything. So yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting contrast between how we were brought up and, you know, what we've got all our life. Oh, absolutely. And I think that the kids, like, enjoy seeing how you were brought up as well. And I think that mm. helps inspire them, and especially working from home. And I, I'm sure this is similar with your children, with my stepson. Since I transitioned, I started working from home. He's excited. You see that fire in them light up. They get to see the possibilities, and, and they mm. want to be part of that. And I think that's really exciting because you're helping build whether they decide they want to go to university or they go to college or they decide that they want to do vocational work you know they want to build things or be an entrepreneur like any of it it helps them see the other side and I don't think that any of us in our generation really saw that other side because it was very motivated to you go to school you go to college or university like you do this if you're not, you know, a doctor, a nurse, like something with yeah. a title where you have all these letters after your name, like you, you are nothing. Yeah. I mean, we didn't even know what entrepreneurship was, did we? Like, I mean, could you, you couldn't even spell it. You never even heard of it. Like what's the, you just knew of people that had a business. Maybe mm-hmm. it was the local joiner or plumber or somebody that fits carpets or something, but there was no such thing as like this as an entrepreneur or like, no. and I think, you know, back, back in, you're a lot younger than me, certainly, maybe 10 years or so, but before the whole internet thing came along, like, we had a lack of resources for public, do you know, and, like, so mm-hmm. you couldn't go searching for stuff. Now these kids, they can just, like, jump on something. My son amazes me with some of the stuff he knows how we do on a phone. I was like, can you show me that again? How did you do that? It's, like, incredible. Yep. So the, the choice that they've got now is it's incredible. And, you know, what you said about, like, working from home, it's interesting because as I sit here in our, our office, in our home, my son's upstairs playing on his Xbox because that's what they do at that age. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm trying to think maybe, what, four years ago? Four years ago, we sold our gym. We owned a gym, you know, because that was my background. Um, we had it for five years. We built up to 1,656 clients. It was doing really well financially. And I wanted to burn the whole damn thing to the ground. And the reason why was because my wife was eating breakfast and dinner by herself. The kids weren't seeing me when they got up in the morning. I wasn't at sports day. I wasn't at family parents evening or whatever. I was missing all of those things. Mm-hmm. And I got caught up in the whole, I've got a business. Let's see how much money we can make. You yeah. know, the more money I made, I didn't get any happier. 
no happier at all. So this is where the whole online thing for me came from was, can I build something where I feel like I can make an impact in other people's lives? Do you know, actually change the lives? Because it can't be about money because what's the point, right? Yeah. So it needs to change other people's lives. It needs to be a movement. I do have to get paid for it because I need to eat and I need to shelter and provide for kids and stuff. But also so as it fits in within my family life. And I wish I'd done it sooner. I wish I knew about it sooner, you know? Mm-hmm. But we live, we learn. <laughs> right, yeah, no, exactly. And I think, I mean, as social media grew, I, and even just the online space, not even social media, but it started to open up these doors and connections. And so as we kind of move forward from there, in your post, you talked about how you went bankrupt in 2011. Mm-hmm. And so this is even before the COVID boom. This is before, like, any of the life's halted as we knew it. But yeah. Walk us through that because after, after in the post, after it says, I wanted to kill myself. And so yeah. I, if you like, if you could, I want you to walk us through what happened and then um, kind of into that moment. So at this point, right in 2011, were you a dad yet? Um, was I a dad? That's a damn good question. No, I wasn't. I would be a dad four months later. So four I knew months. I was going to be a dad. Okay. Yeah. I knew I was going to be a parent, but yeah. So basically what happened was we had, um, this was my third business and it was doing exceptionally well. We had a, um, a fight club. So we'd done boxing, Muay Thai, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, everything else. We opened up our first gym. It basically, we outgrew it. It was too small. We needed to move. Luckily, the landlord had another facility directly across the road. We moved there. It was twice the size. We blew it up it then became too small. We were the only provider in our town for this 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 thing that we were doing. We then started to do fight promotions off the back of it. So every month we would do um, like white collar boxing shows um, and then exhibition bouts and other sports. And it grew like crazy. It was the biggest um, promotions in the whole of Scotland for white collar boxing for a while. And it just grew and grew and grew. So we then, <laughs> this is kind of where we screwed it up. I seen another building. So this was the third building, right? So I'm thinking we need to move because we've got more demand than what we've got space. We need to move. We found this bigger place. This is like three, four times bigger. So we go, we have a look at it, me and my wife, and we're like, this is great. We go get some legal advice and say, hey, listen, we have a three-year lease on building two, and we've only been there for a year. This is how much we pay per month on this lease, is there any way that we can get out of this? Is there any technicalities, whatever else? So we pay for the legal service to work it out. And the lawyer's like, yes, you can get out on this, 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 and this technicality. They come up with three things. So we then go to the landlord and say, hey, listen, we are bowing out of our um, contractual agreement with you. We're paid up to date, so we don't owe any money. And of course, they fought it. Mm-hmm. We're in this new building by this point. And we're just blowing the business up. It's doing really well and it's growing and growing. And um, it gets to a point where it becomes evident that the advice that we were given was not good advice. Uh-huh. But hey, what, what do you do about that, right? Yeah. Well, three of the individual technicalities, none of them stood. Oh, so we're sit- Yeah, so we're sitting here th- and the lease was a high, high rate, right? Yeah. So we're sitting here thinking, wow, what do we do? 
And we have two options. We could either pay back the landlord everything we owed in cash or we declare bankruptcy. Now, there was a problem. I wasn't a limited company at the time because I was so naive. I didn't really know what I was doing, although it's my third business. I didn't know what I was doing. I was still like a sole trader, a sole proprietor. Mm-hmm. So if I lost everything, I lost it, not the company. So I lost all my possessions, right? So we ended up going down the bankruptcy route. I lost my house. I lost my two cars. I can remember the day that we told that the sequestration was happening. It's what they call it in Scotland for bankruptcy. The guy said to us, you've got 10 minutes to get across to your facility, throw whatever you want to throw into your car because we're coming right over behind you and we're claiming everything. He didn't even have to do that, right? I had like a tiny little, um, I had two cars. I had a Lexus and I had a Mini. That day, for like unlucky, I had the Mini. Like the little oh. small car. Oh, I'm like, man. I'm like throwing boxing pads in there and I'm throwing weights in there and I'm throwing, like I'm just in panic, me and my wife. And it got claimed and everything went. And in that moment, it, was, it wasn't about all the stuff we'd built up. It was about everybody who was pinning their hopes. Like we had like guys like fighting in tournaments and we had kids there, you know, like lots of, they were coaching lots of kids at the time. And I just felt I'd let everybody down. And I think when you're in such a low point, you start to overanalyze things. So yeah. I then start thinking, so my dad committed suicide. Is this like a hereditary thing? Like, is this like, is this in my blood, my DNA, my genes? Like, is, there, is this something that's hardwired into me? Like, I don't know. And I kind of got down on myself for a little bit and told my wife kicked my ass and gave me some tough love and, you know, said, what the hell are you doing? Sort yourself out. And, yeah, I pulled myself up and out of it and eventually moved on but it was it was a I'm, I'm thankful for that moment because it made me so much stronger and if it hadn't happened I wouldn't have learned the lessons you know and, and it wouldn't have made me strong as I am today so everything happens for a reason all mm-hmm. even the bad things and I'm, I'm grateful for that lesson it made me a better person yeah man, I I can't imagine, you know, there's so much is you come into the business world, especially if, you know, even then I imagine there's still, we're not nearly as many resources as there are now to understand things and learn things. And I'm sure that it's a little bit different between us and the UK and, you know, Europe or Scotland, but like, I had no idea when I first joined my first, like my network marketing company I'm with, well, why, you know, why is an LLC important? You know, what, where are the, where are the, the safety nets, where are the things that, you know, not just about the tax deductions and and business expenses, but the literal protection from someone taking your business versus taking your life and your livelihood. And it, it, I mean, it's just, you know, I, I can't imagine. And I'm sure that, that, that experience was not only eye opening, but the emotional roller coaster that you had to have gone through with that, knowing that you just lost everything, knowing that you're going to be a dad, the no, you know, and then like, well, shit, what do I do now? How do you know, like, and especially when you're in such a low moment and being an ADHD or like the overthinking is something that like, you know, well, how, how do I actually see out of that box again? You know, like, how do I, how do I see that vision again? So after you lost everything in 2011, from there, where did you go to then, um, let's see. So it says, 
sorry. So three years ago. So you were 2011. So what did you do after that got you to having your business before COVID hit? Yeah. So one of the main things, just to cover what you said there, one of the main things that got me through that was I had read somewhere, I can't remember where I'd read it, but I'd read somewhere that somebody was explaining there's a difference between being broke and being poor. Poor is a mindset, broke is a circumstance. And basically what it meant was if you're broke, if you have skills, you'll never be poor again. It doesn't matter how much money you've got in your bank account. If you have skills, you'll never be poor. And when I recognized that and I thought, oh my God, and this will move on to the next part of the story. I'm so skillful in what I do. I'm not poor, I'm just broke. And then that got me to work with you, obviously, with my my wife's tough love. So basically what I'd done, this was around the time, I'm sure everybody's read or watched The Secret, you know, the whole law of attraction thing. And this was the time where I discovered The Secret. I went to, I owned a boot camp at the time. And I um, went down to an event in Bedford in England. It was run by a guy called Bedros Kulian, who happens to own Fit Body Bootcamp, which is the biggest uh, bootcamp franchise all across the world, originates in the US. And they were talking about the secret. So I'm like, getting into this thing and whatever else. So I start following along with this thing. And you've got to bear in mind, I don't have much money at this point. So mm-hmm. I get a British £10 note. I do the typical secret thing, the whole manifestation. So a £10 note and I write 100000 on it. I'm going to like make a six-figure business. I'm not going to let money be a bully in my life anymore. And I pin it to the top of the ceiling. So when I'm lying in bed at night, I look at it when I wake up in the morning and when I go to bed at night. And my wife's wanting to tear it off the ceiling because we've no money, you know? And like we're living in a rented apartment at this point because we've lost our house. And I'm like, no, it needs to stay, it needs to stay, it needs to stay. Nine months, 14 days later, I hit £100,000. The reason why I hit it was because I refused to let money be a bully in my life. I didn't give a shit about the money. I didn't care about the money. I just cared about not being bullied. When I told my (laughs) mum, I showed her my bank statement for the business, and she said to me, she said, it is illegal, isn't it? Those were her words. Those were her words. I've never done anything illegal in my life. And she said, it is legal, isn't it? She couldn't comprehend how I was able to do that from such a low point, bankruptcy, wanting to commit suicide, to I just churn out 100K in less than a year. Like, how has he done that? Yeah. And it goes back to we all have something that we can lean on that we probably take for granted or we don't even realize. Look at the skills that you have. Look at the, 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 the characteristic traits that you have as a human being we're so much stronger than we think we are. We're capable of so much. And sometimes it's not until we face such adversity that it pulls all that greatness out of us. That greatness is just lurking in all of us to be able to pull something off that makes other people go, yeah, but how? But sometimes we just, we can't achieve it unless we're so low. I always think that, you know, because like, life's like this, isn't it? It's, It's a... It's like peaks and troughs, it's valleys, it's up and downs. Yeah. And I think before every breakdown, there's a after every breakdown, there's a breakthrough. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you're if you're in such low moments in your life or your business or wherever you are, you should know. We don't know the timeline of when it's going to happen, but we do know this. When you're low, you have to go back up at some point. 
And then things that go up must come back down. So when you are up there and you are experiencing these amazing highs in your life, really ride that wave because it doesn't last forever. And I don't mean that to like rain on people's parade. Like really like cherish those moments, the, the people that you spend time with, the business stage that you're at in your life. And, you know, even how young we look, you and I will never look this young ever again. Tomorrow no. we're going to look a little bit older, right? So, like, everything moves on. So, no matter how low you feel right now, there's an upcoming. And I think as long as we recognize that, it gets us through the day, right? If you yeah. struggle to get through the year, just win the day. Just win the day. That's all we can do. Yeah. Well, you never quit on it. You never quit on a bad day, right? And nobody right. quits on a good day. So, you never quit on a bad day, right? Fraser says that. But it's so... So, I grew up Catholic. And so that means that manifestation was not something that we were exposed to, right? That was not a thing. And um, when I started, it's so interesting that you say all that, because when I started learning about that, to be honest, because of my upbringing, like I've, I have to finish the secret. I've watched some of it and it's something that like I've learned and fully embraced manifestation, getting through the secret, having grown up Catholic is Mm. difficult. (laughs) It's difficult to watch a little bit because it's yeah. sort of like watching the Da Vinci Code, right? You're like, wait a minute. So I, I'm like, get through that. And I, I just said this to my therapist last week and, and I get so anxious sometimes, right? And we think about the, the problems, right? So when it comes to money and yeah. no matter whether you have $2 or you have $2 million, like it just, I said to her, I have to focus no matter what it is. I have to focus on the goal and you can't focus on the problem. And so it's very, so similar to what you just said, because I wrote some goals down and I, you know, I have an app that reminds me and I write down, you know, five goals in my book every day. And I, all of a sudden, just last week, literally everything turned around again on a totally different scale with so many different things, not just money related, but everything. And I was like, wait a minute. I think, I think there's a thing to this. Yeah. Like, I think, I think there's a piece here. And I truly believe it's because you're focusing on the end goal, right? Like you said, it's not about the money. It's not about what your, your situation is it's about what you're doing about that situation. Yep. Absolutely. And yeah. It, it just, it, it's crazy. I love that whole 10 pound note thing on the ceiling. Like, I think that's so brilliant, like so brilliant. Right. And um, yeah, that's so incredible. Do you know the thing? Do you know the thing with that 10 pound note story? I do not know where that 10 pound note went. I wish I did. I wish I knew, like, I wish I kept it. I don't know what happened to it. It must have just got lost in a bunch of notes somewhere, and that was it. I'd love to share something with you, something that my wife shared with me when I was going through some tough times and something she shares a lot with her clients. She talks a lot about, um, especially for somebody with ADHD and focus and all that good stuff, she talks about if you imagine a, a, a blank piece of A4 paper, and you draw a straight line horizontally through the middle. And on the left-hand side, you have depression. And on the far right-hand side, you have joy. So you've got them the both opposite like extremes from each other, depression and joy, and left and right. What dictates which way you go, left or right, is if you go halfway along that line, so you're halfway between depression and halfway between joy, Mm-hmm. And draw another line straight up vertically. And at the top of that vertical line, 
is something called purpose. If you do not have a purpose, you will gravitate towards depression. If you have a purpose, you will gravitate towards joy. And it's not a choice, but you have to have a purpose. And that purpose, I think we, I don't think we get to choose our purpose. It chooses us. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, some of us, for whatever reason, don't don't um, ever experience what that is. You know that saying, um, the two most important days of your life are the day that you're born and the day that you find out why. Yeah. The day that you find out why is the one that we're all searching for. Absolutely. And it was the one, right. And it was the one that I was searching for for so long. So this is such a funny story, but such a pivotal moment. Get this. So I've been a fitness professional for 20 odd years from in the military to civil life and everything else. And Robert's excuse for doing what he does is I'm the fitness guy and I just like to help people, which was true. You know, Mm -hmm. I thought that was the thing. I just love helping people. I get a buzz from it. I'm sitting on the couch one night with my wife. We're unpacking from our day from all our calls that we do during the day, it's like the time where we catch up and just unload and we catch up and say, hey, how's your day been? We're sitting on the couch and we're talking about why what we why we do what we do in life. You know, why did she become a therapist and a performance coach and everything? Why? How did I find my way into this industry? And she turns to me and she said, do you want to know why you do what you do, Rob? And she, she laid it on me really abruptly. And I thought, okay, here we go. There's going to be some like Maslow Freud theories come out and she's just going to shower it all over me, right? And I'm going to be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like she's reading out a textbook. And she, what she said next hit me like a ton of bricks. And I didn't, but in that moment, I wanted to cry my eyes out. What she said to me was, when you were 12, when your dad hung himself and committed suicide, you were too young to save him. And you spent your entire adult life trying to save everybody else. You're a rescuer. She encapsulated my entire 20-odd career in like one sentence. And I was like, oh, hang on a minute. This is like, this is this is something. And she, she looked at me for what felt like a lifetime. She didn't say anything because she knew she'd just laid a bomb on me, right? Yeah. She just sat calmly, like the typical therapist. You, we all know that therapist, like side on pose and nodding the right. head. Yeah, with a notebook right? and the pen. Yep. Yeah. And she just sat and she just looked at me and she was just gauging my response, my energy. And I was just like, whew, big deep breath. And she was like, How are you feeling? I was like, I feel like you just laid a bomb on me. Anyway, <laughs> that moment has changed my life from that moment, the past four years have been the most productive, the happiest, um, the most fulfilled. I finally get why I'm here. I know I'm on, like, I'm far along the woo-woo scale at this point, but I, I I, get what I'm here for. You know, I'm not here to, like, earn a Lamborghini and have a penthouse. Like, I need a greenhouse more than I need a penthouse, you know? <laughs> yeah. I don't need a penthouse. So, like, I'm not into this all material possession thing, so why am I here? And i am been all about this purpose. And I get it now. I'm just I'm just here to like help more people. Do I run a business? Sure. My whole sole focus in a weird way, I guess I'm handling my daddy issues. And I think I'm okay with that. That I I legitimately have goosebumps and that's that that statement in and of itself may have just completely shifted my own thinking. 
you know i mean like truly you know i went since we're you know we're learning about each other but i you know somewhere i don't remember my exact age but somewhere under the age of like 10 or 11 i was molested by a family member Um, not my immediate family i always clarify that my immediate family it's not them and then Mm -hmm. You know, as I went through that, obviously shaped some of what I went through. And then, as an adult, I was in you know a really narcissistic, abusive relationship. And I was I was in the medical field for twelve years. I was a unit clerk in the ER. I loved what I did. I was a medic for New York State. And I, I've always my like like you said, my goal's always been to help people. Mm-hmm. But when you just said that, I, I was like. Yeah, I want, I, in my head, I was like, wow, I, I want, like, I know I can help people. I am helping people, but am I actually trying to rescue them from a position of where I don't want them to go through? That is profound. Oh, my isn't God. It, isn't it interesting that we, we, we're all unconsciously doing things that we probably don't even realize we're doing it, unless some specialist like that comes along and goes, here's actually why you're probably doing that. Yeah. <laughs> You know, we talk about limiting beliefs a lot, and I had no idea what that meant. But there are so many things now I understand that happen to us through our entire life, especially that were seeded in us in childhood, whether it's, you know, financially. Like, I remember um, hearing someone talking about how they had to shift their financial mindset. And, you know, when you were young, I think in the UK, it's a little bit different because you don't have air conditioning like we do over here. It's like standard over here, whereas over there, it's probably I don't think as much. But don't leave the refrigerator door open, right? Because it's going to use electricity or don't, you know, you can't use the air conditioning because it'll waste more gas, right? All these little things that get seeded and then we get to adults and it's actually holding us back. And there are things that you just thought were the way your parents were like, you know, and the limiting beliefs as you work through them are fascinating, right? As you're going through (laughs) your daddy issues, but you're learning how to let go of those things and grieve them in a sense, because we talked about how grief comes in every, all the different stages, but, and it allows you to unlock that potential and get to that high, right? Like a heartbeat, if you have a flat line as a heartbeat, you're not going anywhere, right? You're not moving. And I just posted this today, but I never understand even in my own self, how we can chase after things whether it's a female or a male going after, you know, someone that they really want to be in a relationship with, but the other person wants nothing to do with it. And they spend so much time, months, heartache, brain power, all this chasing all these things that, but we won't allow ourselves to do that for our own goals. We fail once. And a lot of people are just like, nah, eh, not going to work. Yeah. And a yeah. lot of that is the, those deep seated limiting beliefs that we didn't even realize were lessons back then. Exactly. It's so interesting, isn't it? Oh, it's fascinating. Yeah. We we have there's so I actually really enjoy it. I love I think a lot of people can be afraid of opening up Pandora's box and going, I don't yeah. want to go back to my past and it for for rightly so for some people in certain circumstances and things that they've been through, a lot especially a lot of traumatic incidences, a lot of it can be quite fun as well, where okay, I have a lot of limiting beliefs. I have this, like you mentioned the money thing. I was the same, you know, the whole money doesn't grow in trees. We are not yep. rich and like turn the light off. You're burning electricity, all of those yes. things. Like, you know, now the complete, I do the complete opposite with my clients. I talk about money a lot 
because you know the whole thing is like we get so like confused like especially in business this whole thing about money and i love talking about it because it's such a taboo word don't talk about money because if you talk about money you're like a money grabber you're a stealer you're a scammer you're a something like, mm-hmm. money's just freedom yeah. you know if, if, if the currency was oranges i'd just be looking to get more oranges you know yeah. because i'm looking to get more oranges to make sure my kids are okay so like yeah we have so many limiting beliefs i, I love getting into it and unpacking them all and thinking yeah. Great, I got rid of that one. I got rid of that one. Mm-hmm. Fun thing to do. I, I literally I say I say that to my therapist every time. So she specializes in EMDR. And yeah. I really like it's almost one of those things where I know that it would be a lot, but I I constantly giggle because I feel like I would want like I want a session every day because yeah. I find it fascinating that not only during the sessions, whether it's an EMDR session or not, but also like there are moments that I'm just like, wait, I remember that, you know, when as ADHDers, we tend to compartmentalize a lot. And so we tend to kind of put everything in a box and then, you know, kind of like shove it off to the side and whether it's consciously or unconsciously. And I didn't understand why I couldn't remember so much of my childhood or even adolescent years, except bad events. And I desperately wanted to remember Mm -hmm. good events you know, and you love talking about money. And one of the biggest lessons that I learned from my dad when it came to money, and it's funny because my dad has been an entrepreneur his entire life. You know, we, my family owns a huge marina in Alexandria Bay, New York, and like, he's been an entrepreneur the whole time. And so it's funny to think about that and then not realize that that was the path that I could have gone down earlier. Mm-hmm. But when not understanding why I wasn't doing well in school and why I wasn't testing well. My first year of like community college, I, I didn't pass any of my classes. I kind of blew them off. And my dad said, listen, like, I'm happy to pay for you, but I'm not throwing money down the drain. Like you need to like pass. And I didn't pass the next semester. I like let it go. And he said, I'm not paying anymore, but I still felt indebted that I had to go to school. And so I was throwing all this money away. I mean, tuition back then was a lot less than it is now, but I was throwing all this money away. And that was one of the biggest lessons I learned is that, sure, you can spend all this money, but I hope you're getting something out of it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And and I can't be more grateful for that. I think a lot of people would be like, wow, your parents gave up on you. But it it wasn't that. It wasn't that they were giving up on me. He was teaching me a lesson. And even though I probably couldn't understand that at 19 or 20 years old, like yeah. I look back now and it's like, wait, okay, I get this. You know, like I didn't have credit cards then. Yeah. I can't imagine, you know, I kept asking my dad, well, can you just help me with this? Because I didn't understand the process. And as an ADHD or like when there's too much of a process, if it's not something that really interests you, you know, you don't, you don't comprehend it. Yeah. So I was, and he's like, nah, like, oh, you could do this. You just pay cash. You just do this. And what I didn't understand is that he wasn't unwilling to help me he was saving me from yeah. an absolute of debt that I could have been in. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a credit card until I was 28 years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just now going through that healing journey, right? Like you have and going through that. It's fascinating. I think to learn about all those things that have shaped you and helped you to the person you are now. Definitely. It's, it, it's interesting. And there's, there's so many lessons along the way, but 
sometimes we don't recognize them as lessons and we we get to a different chapter a different season of our life and we're like oh i remember that yeah. i always think it's like um if you imagine a song we, we i think we all do this and if if we don't then i'm just the weirdo i guess where one song let's say you heard a song in your 20s and you know the song back to front the lyrics and everything in between you could hear it in another season of your life and it means something different to you. Mm-hmm. Like the message is different. You're like, I didn't hear that the first, I heard the song, but I didn't hear that message in the song the first time. How is it only possible now that I'm hearing this message in that song? I think timing's everything, isn't it? It's like when we're ready for the message, we'll hear it. If we're not ready for the message, it doesn't matter who delivers it, how it's delivered. If you're not ready for it, you ain't picking it up. No, and that's such a fascinating point. One of the girls, um, one of my close friends who lives in the UK, we were talking about this the other day and how once we got into the entrepreneurial space, the online business space, those things, and then you watch movies or you do, you listen to songs or whatever, the messages you hear are drastically different. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I see things in a totally different color. I hear things in a totally different tone now. You know, it it doesn't matter what the movie or the TV show or whatever. Like I constantly am hearing it in a way that can not only better myself, help my clients, help, you know, our promoters, but also that I can help others with. And that's, I think one of the greatest joys of being an entrepreneur, having a business, being an online, you know, having an online business is you do get to see that in such a different light. And so many people don't get to experience it that I just, you just want to share it all the time. Totally agree. Listen, we're so similar in so many ways as you're talking. I'm just like resonating with so much of what you're saying. I'm like, that's me. That's me. (laughs) Yeah. So I would just want to touch on when you lost your clients through COVID and then how, you know, you kind of have gotten to your coaching business now. Yeah. Do you know, probably a main theme between this whole thing is being like, you know, I'm grateful for the lessons. When we, when we had our gym, we we built it up to 1,656 clients in five years in a 33,000-person town. Like, where I live in Scotland is like a little seaside resort. Like, people come here to die. You know, it's like a retirement <laughs> area. Yeah, they do. People come here to die. And um, so we've done exceptionally well. I don't mind patting myself in the back for that one. We've done well. We're doing between 80 to 100K months, which was mind-blowing, you know? Yeah. And like I said, I wanted to burn the whole thing to the ground. So we put it up for sale. We've got three offers on the table at this point. And by now I've been through all these life lessons. So I was a lot more accustomed to adversity and like sometimes things just don't go the way you want to go. So this is back in March and obviously everybody in different parts of the world got shut down at different times in COVID 2020. So it's my birthday on the 15th of March, um, my 40th birthday. Um, did I get that right? Yeah, 40th. And um, remember what age I am. All right. Yeah, 21. And the, the 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 news starts coming on about how everybody's getting shut down and the gyms might be getting shut down. Well, anyway, all the gyms get shut down, as we all know. We have the three buyers on the table. They're now off the table. Nobody's interested in buying this gym anymore because gyms are on their ass because nobody's coming to them, right? Uh-huh. Our lease is about to come to an end. And we're like, well, we've been through this whole lease thing before. Like, we don't want to go bringing out a new one because like, you just never know. And we couldn't trust lawyers sometimes. So, like, what do we do? So, we had a lot of equipment in that building, like hundreds of thousands of pounds worth. And the buyers went, 
And within four weeks of COVID, so we're paying more rent and everything's fine, and we're thinking about what to do and we're gauging this, like what's happening with this COVID thing that nobody's heard of? Like how long's this saga going to run for? And I'm glad that we took the route that we did rather than hang on by our fingernails and wait. Yeah. Because within four weeks, those 1,656 clients, we lost just short of a 1,000. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. Yeah. So our income is doing this. It's plummeting, it's plummeting, it's plummeting. We have an online business at the time, so we're doing okay. But mm-hmm. in-person business is doing this, it's dropping. I said to my wife, I'm not doing this. We're not going to do this again. We're not going to put ourselves through this. We have a child. We have a child on the way. Mm-hmm. We're not going to do it, come back in here and try and convince another thousand people to come back to a gym because it's safe, this, that, and whatever else. So for us, it was a bit of a blessing where we lost out in a big six-figure sum to sell our, our business, but we got like just over 100K for selling the equipment and we've done more thing and we moved on. And I'm grateful for that moment because it taught me a lot about it's just money. And it mm-hmm. went back to that whole principle of poor and broke again. I can yeah. make more money again, but I'll never get back these moments in time. And you know how like how the whole world sort of shut down? We've yeah. done things during COVID with our family that we would probably have never have done because we never had the time. And I'm so grateful for that. Yeah. Um and you know, when we when we had this business running where we were helping other fitness professionals. It's, it's strange because it's not something I actually wanted to do. I didn't want to be one of these gurus where, you know, I'll make you 10K a month and I'll promise yeah. this and promise that and we'll give you all the leads. And I wasn't that guy. I'm like, I'm not that guy. Like, I, I want to be sick in my mouth even thinking about it. And I was helping a few friends as well as having clients at the time. And they're like, dude, you need to like really scale this because you're good at it because you've done it for so long. Well, I have a phone call with one guy one day who's thinking about joining our coaching program. And he says to me, um, I'll never forget it. He said, I love everything that you're saying. I can see clearly that you're getting amazing results. Like if you go to our website, you'll get bored before you get to the bottom of the page. There's that many results. Like there's just, we've built up a whole Yeah, I saw of- it. It's amazing. It takes so long, right? And he said to me, he says, I love everything, but I've just got one impo- this one important question that's kind of bugging me a little bit. I said, geez, what's he going to ask? And he said, how come I've never heard of you? Because I'm like seeing all of these people, these gurus for like gyms and fitness providers and everything. They're all over social. They're on Insta. They're emailing me. They're doing this. They're doing that. They're very omnipresent. I've never heard of you. How come? And he kind of caught me unaware. And I was like, that's a really interesting question. Like I've only been at it for a little bit. But then it dawned on me and I said to him, well, you think of it like this. The majority of the people, and it's usually the gurus tend to be like in their 20s somewhere, do you know, and they're like, I'm a life coach, I'm 21, you know. Like, oh, yeah, good right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good, good luck with that. I knew, right. I, knew I, knew, I didn't know shit at 21. Nope, me either. <laughs> I thought I did. I thought I knew everything, but I knew nothing, right? Yep. So these gurus are jumping about and they're telling everybody what to do. And I said, Whilst they've been doing that, telling everybody, I was away actually doing it. I was the guy that was running the businesses where everybody else is talking about it. That's why you've never heard of me. And that kind of became more story where I don't have to be the best coach in the world because where's the measuring stick and the, you know, the, like the gauge of who's the best and who's the worst. 
But what I do have is a crazy amount of experience over the years. And you can't fake 28 years as a coach or 27 now into 28. You can't fake that, right? So it's probably safe to say I kind of know a little bit about what I'm doing. And that kind of became our story. And um, we've worked with clients in 20 countries, which, you know, I still pinch myself and think, how the heck did that happen? Like, how? number one, how did they even understand me with this crazy accent, you know? <laughs> like, we've got clients from all over, and it, it, it's, it, it works. And I get to help people with different color of skin, different language, different accent, different cultural beliefs, different everything. Mm-hmm. And I love that multi-diversity of speaking to people from yeah. all over the world. It's such an amazing thing. Uh, absolutely is. It's, so my COVID experience is a little bit different than the majority of people because while so many people were able or like had to be home had to be in lockdown i wasn't right so oh, like wow. i didn't have that experience because the er's didn't shut down because you were er right 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 and so it was something that like we were working overtime we like you oh, know wow. and i wasn't one of the nurses but i ended up we had a couple like a lot of people leave and i ended up just before it was actually during the period of time when we lost Craig, it was, I was working. So I worked 12 hour nights, 7P to 7A. I was never a daytime person, never have been, probably never will be. And I ended up feeling so bad that there wasn't a unit clerk on the other shift that I signed up and I worked nearly three months straight with only 11 days off in three months. And the burnout that I didn't understand, but that came from that, right, was was something that was completely opposite of what everybody else experienced. Right. And so then bring us to July of 2021, I have a rare autoimmune disease. And it was, I had, like, I had been out of work for a month. Thankfully, I had enough, you know, long-term sick leave or whatever, where I was still getting paid. But I only joined the online business space. I only joined network marketing to make up the difference in overtime that I wasn't working. Because I was working at least a 12-hour shift of overtime every two weeks. And so many people have said, I'm still working all this overtime and I'm still living paycheck to paycheck, right? Mm -hmm. And that was back then even. But then the whole concept of the vax or get fired came out. Mm -hmm. And I had to make, like, whatever anybody's, and I always say this, but whatever anybody's beliefs are around that are their own. Like, I, I I don't get into the politics of things like that because... I just, I don't, right? Like it's whatever. I think that you should be able to, it doesn't even matter. My point is, is I had to choose between do I get fired or do I have to then put something else in my body when I already don't understand what's going on because my autoimmune disease is four autoimmune diseases in one. Yeah. Right. And it's like mentally taxing and like you kind of, it was a similar, totally different circumstances, but similar to that experience you went through in 2011 where everything you had been doing just kind of disappeared. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what I learned from that is not only have I now just crest going into the third year, but I would have never, ever imagined myself in this position. I would have never imagined having a podcast, right? I would have never (laughs) met you or some of my other friends that I am internally grateful for around the world. And I resigned. And then I started to experience those things that everybody else got to experience that I never would have experienced like you did during the time of COVID. Yeah. Yeah. 
I love that for you. I absolutely love that for you. Like the journey you've been on. Um, you know, because we're so hardwired to have a job, get a wage, pay the bills. Yeah. Those things are important, but I also think they'll, they'll sort themselves out somehow. Mm-hmm. What's the point in doing something? Not to say that we you, know, you hate your job or whatever, but I truly believe we're all here for a purpose and we're all here for mm-hmm. something. And even if we don't know what it is, we're in, I believe we're intuition. We have a gut feeling of we're, yeah. we're magnetized towards something. You know, and the fact that you've been able to do what you're doing and you say three years later and you're talking to people and built connections all around the world, it's just incredible. You know, and like kudos to you, like high five the fact that you've made that move and been bold and said, you know what, I'm going to follow what I believe in. It's it's really cool. It's really cool. I never, you know, the funny thing is, is that I never imagined myself being in the ER as a unit clerk or a secretary basically is what that was right. I never imagined myself being there as long as I was, but I also at the time before that happened, couldn't imagine myself going somewhere else because I was thankful that I was making above minimum wage. Right. I was thankful that even before we got married, I had the option for health insurance and retirement and all those things. And so I knew that going to nursing school wasn't going to be something one I wanted to do, but two, I knew school wasn't, successful for me that structure was not successful but I had no idea what to do and coming back to that manifestation and kind of you know the universe and signs and signals I truly think that that whole experience pushed me to get out of a situation that I didn't know I needed to get out of right that situation for you in 2011 and then even Mm -hmm. going through it pushed you into a space where you were able to find that purpose. And I wrote down a comment that when you were talking about purpose, and I think a lot of people who are in, there's nothing wrong with having a job. If you love your your career, that's amazing, mm-hmm. right? But there's so many people that are out there just working because they have to, and they have no purpose. Mm-hmm. And they're miserable because they don't know how to find their purpose. Yeah. Listen, my wife has a business based on that exact concept. Her, the majority of her clients are people that make obscene amounts of money and they're the people on the front end that we all think have got their shit together and they don't. And you know why? Here's basically how it works. If you imagine like a pyramid and they've, we've got we're health, we're fitness, we're wealth, we're relationships and everything else that we focus on in our life, right, to supposedly make us happy. Above that, that then compounds all those things together into a kingdom. So we're building our kingdom. And when we've built this kingdom, we get to sit on top of the throne of our own life and we get to be that king or queen. But there's a problem. Most people, or not most, Some people either never get there at all and they're always struggling that foundational phase. It might be their relationships, it might be their finances, their health or whatever. Or for the people that do have some or a lot of it together, they get there but they fall back down. And the reason why it happens is because there's a part in the middle missing called the self. So many people do not know themselves well enough. You think about this and this fascinates me. Think about people who, like, my family are right into soccer, right? And you could, like, think of any other sport or if, like, you've got an, a favorite pop star or movie star or an icon or somebody. 
so many people know more about the person that they idolise or the team that they idolise or the sports person than they do about themselves. Could you imagine if you knew more about yourself than you did about that person or that team? How you could, like, what your life would look like when you focus on yourself and understanding who you really are. Like, one of the hardest exercises, like, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here, of course, but one, yes, of the, one of the hardest exercises is, like, stand in the mirror and look in that mirror and look at yourself from top to bottom. How long can you actually stand and look at yourself? Most people can't do it for very long. No. Like, coming from a fitness industry background, here's why most people never got the body that they wanted to get, the people that, that would come into the gym. Here's why. When they come into that gym, they might be wanting to build muscle, lose body fat, gain flexibility, whatever the thing is, the physical thing. You know why most people never get it? They come in because they hate their body and they're trying to change it. They've already lost. You need to go to the gym and eat healthier because you love your body. And then you build upon that. You can't you can't build anything from a place of hate. So it never happens. Like you're always jumping from diet to diet, gym to gym. Like, you know, it never works. The self is so, and I know you know this yourself from all your self-development. It's such a, a deep, deep rabbit hole that just almost never ends. We can discover so much about ourselves. And the more we learn about ourselves, the more we get to own this kingdom of ours that nobody else can own and just step into our own uniqueness and, you know, be unapologetically you, me, us, and claim our own little throne and be our own little king or queen. Before I knew this, my wife used to call me a prince. She's like, you're, you're just being a prince. You're, like, you're not a king yet. You're being a prince. And the prince is like the boy. Like, so, like, if I, um, I used to deal with things emotionally, Yep. And she like you're showing who are you showing up as right now. You're showing up as a prince. Like you're dealing with everything emotionally. A king doesn't show up like that. <laughs> you know, it's really interesting. Yeah, I. Yeah, I. Uh, I don't. I. I don't even necessarily have words, but it's so interesting when you said that most of us know so many things about a sports, like a a sports team or something. I remember when I was working in the ER, I worked like with the the charge nurse and then with the physicians, right? With the doctors or the PAs or the nurse practitioners, whatever. Mm -hmm. I knew everything, like not necessarily on a like creepy personal level, but I (laughs) knew, right. I knew everything about every one of them. I could predict their moves based on the patients and what they were going to need five steps ahead. I knew what, like if we were going to order food and we were really busy, depending on where we were going to order from, I didn't even have to ask them. I could, we could just, I I knew it all. I could just take care of it all. Mm -hmm. And I was so proud of that. I can't decide. I can't decide what I want for myself for dinner. (laughs) Like, right. I could eat cereal every day and be totally fine, right? Like, I, I can't even, yeah. like, don't give me more than two choices. Yeah. But now, it's one of those things where I, that was, wow, that was such a, I have to journal about, I, that was such a revolutionary moment when you just said that, because I, n- I never thought about it that way. Yeah. Well, he, well, here's an example of it. Like, when I grew up, my family are, like say, they're into soccer and they follow Glasgow Rangers football team. 
as I grew up, I was this little kid who was Glasgow Rangers crazy and the top striker when I was a kid is a guy named Ali McCoyst and he scores all the goals and he's the superhero. I could have told you everything about this guy. Mm-hmm. I knew nothing about myself as a kid. I was being taught no lessons. Do you know what I was being taught by my parents? Because they thought they were doing the best they could. They were, yeah. hey, come to the game. It'll be brilliant. Let's sing the songs. Let's do this. Let's do that. There was no self-development. There was no, like, let's find out what type of person Robert is, you know, because it's, who knew back then? No. But um, trying to discover yourself and going deep, it's, I mean, we, I don't know how far along each of us are on this woo-woo scale. You know, we're all at different levels of it, you know, but, um, and we can be as far along and as far back as we want to be, but it's such an interesting area to, to, to hang out in for a little while and just question Things that you know of. There's three parts. I'll say this. If you imagine like a big pie and there's three parts of the pie. There's things that we know. There's things that we don't know. And there's things that we don't know we didn't know. And that third part right there is the most interesting area. that I didn't know I didn't know that. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. It's like an astrologer could say something to you about, I don't know, outer space or whatever. And you're like, I didn't know I didn't even know that. It's such a fascinating place. Yeah. So, yeah. We're getting because really far along the movie scale now. Right. No, that's all right. But it is, like, there's, I forget, sometimes there's so much, like, you listen to, to audiobooks and podcasts and things like But somewhere in the journey in the last couple of months of something I was listening to, somebody was talking about how there's a moment that you experience, right? Every single second we're experiencing something. Mm-hmm. But in reality, we really know nothing because there are a million plus moments that are all going on at the same time. And it's just, it's such a fascinating concept to understand or even Mm -hmm. think about and learn about even just cultural differences. You know, my friends and I, my friends in the UK and even um, one of my close friends in Australia, just some of the things that just like things that have a different name fascinates me. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. like I heard you say soccer and then football. Right. So for the longest time, I probably knew that in school, but I didn't understand a lot of it. Right. So or even just Mm -hmm. just the the difference between biscuits and cookies. Right. Like all these little (laughs) things that you're learning because you get to experience all the stuff that you, you never would have experienced if you didn't take that step. Right. You didn't sit in that like to bring it all together. right? You didn't sit in that. But not. But why not moment? And just decide that you were going to move forward, right? You, the, the saying, you can't eat the whole elephant yeah. at once. You only take a bite, right? Um, Emily Ford talks about how you, you know, you spoke about a box. She talks about a box and she talks about a rubber band around your waist and yeah. that, you know, you don't have to, if you try to jump, jump all at once outside that box, that rubber band's going to hold you. You're never going to get there, yeah. but you take one step and then you take another step. And then you take another step and eventually you're going to feel this rubber band so tight around your waist that you don't think, right? That's your low point. Like you don't think that you're going to be able to move forward at all anymore. And then you take one more step and then that rubber band breaks and you have these things from your manifestation and and the work you put into yourself and in your business and your life and all the doors open. Yeah. Yeah. And as an ADHD, that can be a bit much sometimes when there's so many doors, right? Like it can be a bit much, but the point is still there that you just have to take that step. You just have to move that foot because you have no idea what's on that other side when you don't quit at that low point or on that bad day. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like it's, 
I always say to my clients, show up like a weed, you know, just be everywhere, like a mm-hmm. weed, just be everywhere, because you just never know who's watching, who's listening, how somebody's life could change your life, or you could change their life, or vice versa, it's, it's fascinating. I'd love to yeah. share this with you if it's okay. Yeah. Something, something that I teach my clients is something that I learned in my studies. I started studying for a PhD in natural medicine, not because I wanted to work in that profession. I was interested in it because my wife's friend died of cancer when she was 30. And um, it kind of became the catalyst for me wanting to learn about different things. So I've got to the master's level, level I'm still working on the PhD. And um, one of the things that I learned in it, and this is actually something that we take into our business and we call it being the business athlete, is we focus on the five bodies of consciousness. And some some of you may watching or listening may understand and know what this is. We, a lot of people see themselves just as this physical suit, where like this meat suit where we've got this physiology going on and we've got a mind up here as well. So we kind of got a couple of things going on, right? But there's so many different layers. And what that breaks down into, and they're, they're all very much synergistic. So we have our physical body at the very ground and the foundation, the most dense, which is nourished by nutrition and food, what you put into your body, right? So that's your physical body. We then have our vital body, which the Chinese would call chi, the Indian um, culture call it prana, and we call it vital force or energy, right? Mm-hmm. We then have the third level, which is the mental body, which in Western world we call the mind, which is where thought processes. Beyond that, we have the supramental, which is our archetypes. We're all born with various archetypes and different archetypes. And the fifth and final stage, and this is the grounding of everything, is the bliss body. And this is your spirituality. This is basically who you are as a spirit, as a human being, what you believe in. Who's your God, your faith, your higher power? Like what what pulls you through when times are tough? That there, that bliss body, the last one, if that's not in harmony, what happens is it affects the supramental to the mental to the vital and things start to show up in the physical body like depression, like anxiety, like fibromyalgia, like various other autoimmune things. They start to show up. And it's a crazy thing to understand because you're like, oh, wow, and you know, I never realized that. So if we could be aware of that and go back and think, how can we focus on these things? And it's very much like what, I don't know if you've read the book Biology of Belief by Bruce Lipton. He was one of my mentors in my studies. Great book. If, like, if you're listening, everybody should read that book. It's, it's crazy. It is, of course, pinned upon the foundation, which is belief is everything. Mm-hmm. So Bruce Lipton was a cell biologist. And you can find him in social media. He's a great guy doing life-changing things. He was trying to work out how can, like, identical cells... So if you take twins, for example, and, you know, as human beings, how can one twin perhaps get cancer in their lifetime, but the other one doesn't? How can one succeed, but the other doesn't? Mm-hmm. If they're identical, if they have the same DNA, the same genetic code... And basically what it comes down to is the environment. So he would take two Petri dishes, he would put these living live cells into Petri dishes and put them in two different environments. One where the cells could thrive, sunlight, there's no odour in the air or anything else. And then the other dark environment, toxins in the air, loud sounds, everything going on, and they would start to die. 
The difference between the two identical cells is the environment. So we have the, these things kicking about now, which is you're the average of the five people you hang about with. You're a product yeah. of your environment. And this is where it all comes from. It's so, so very true. You know, hanging about with somebody like you, like I'm, I'm never, um, I'm always going to feel pretty okay because you're kind of like on the positive side of life. But, mm-hmm. you know, we have other people in life where you're like, oh, geez, you kind of need to go stand over there because, like, you're making me feel way down here. Yep. You know, there's, there's people like that in life. Oh, absolutely. I- it's it's so fascinating. And I truly believe, no. I can't wait to actually read that book. Um, but I truly believe that what happened to my body in July of 2021, I've had my autoimmune disease since 2013, right? Mm-hmm. But I truly believe that all of the things that happened finally got my body to the point where it went into that dorsal vagal type of phase where it was all of those things. And those four others finally really hit my body and was like, okay, like these are, these are really manifesting. And I truly Mm -hmm. think that, you know, autoimmune disease as like, (laughs) where I'm living it, but I truly think that you can mitigate so many of those things by focusing on those other four. Not just your nutrition, because that's also a huge, important part. You know, we don't get enough of what we need just from random food, and especially here in the U.S. Vastly different, right? But I remember when I was in, when I was taking college, there was a either English or psychology class. We had to write a paper on something. And this, I'll never forget the story. This one girl wrote a paper on preservatives in McDonald's food, right? And the fascinating part about it was that there was a study done. I don't remember by who or any of that, but there was a study done somehow, somewhere, and they started to bring bodies back up that had been dead. Like people, like bodies that, bodies that were dead. (laughs) They had started to bring bodies back up from 20, 30, 40 years, all these things. And you actually saw that the bodies, (laughs) I hope this isn't too morbid, but the bodies were not decaying like they were, 50, 60, 70 years ago because of all of the food, right? So that's a huge important part. But those other four parts, I don't think people talk about enough. And I truly think that that 100% impacts how we are on a day-to-day, whether it's physical symptoms, whether it's the anxiety, the depression, all of it, 100%. I I think a lot of it comes from, I don't know your experience in this, but I think a lot of that comes from just sometimes we have a hard time as as humans rejecting something because we don't understand it. Yep. So... Like, um, if if you look at like everything is, is is energy, like energy can't be created or destroyed. It just is. It always is. It's possibility, right? So if everything's energy, most people can't really understand that because you can't see energy. You can feel it, but you can't see it. And I always think the best way of describing it and to prove that it does exist. Well, we all have electricity for a start, but if you imagine you've got a uh, two two watches, one on your right wrist, one on your left. On your right wrist, you have a mechanical watch and the hands go round. And if you take that out and open it up, you can, you've got the hands, you've got the cogs, you've got all the screws, you've got all the parts, right? The face and everything. Then on the other wrist, you've got a digital watch. You open it up, you haven't got any of those things because it works completely differently. There's a little like switchboard or not a switchboard, uh, what do they call it? Like a power board thing or something, uh, right? Yeah, motherboard, yep. Motherboard, right, yeah. They've got like, um, I've got third attempt. So they've, they've got all these little th- they've got all these little things in there. How does that work? One works with energy. One works with mechanics. Yeah. The one in the mechanics focuses on Newtonian physics, 
The one with energy focuses on quantum physics. Quantum physics trumps Newtonian physics. Because it gives Absolutely. you the answers that the Newtonian physics couldn't give you. Of course, it still exists. Yeah. But it gives you some of the answers that you couldn't get before. So I think because we're so early in understanding that, and, you know, this generation, some of us don't understand the whole energy thing, which is perfectly fine. It seems all a bit alien and a bit woo-woo, like, yeah, like, what's a meridian? What's a, like, what's chi? What's prana? What's this? What's that? I totally get that. I understand it because, like, mm-hmm. we can't see it. Yep. But we can feel it. Absolutely. This has been an incredible conversation. I honestly, I could spend hours. Like, I think we're so similar and your wife seems amazing. Like, I am so thankful that we had this interview. Um, Where can people find you? Like, it'll be in the podcast description anyways. But where can people find you, connect with you um, to reach out and, and look at your program or talk to you? Well, two easy places. Number one, we have a website, bosscoaches.co.uk. Um, but you'll find me in social. Um, I'm under my Sunday name, Robert, not Rob. Um, so you'll, you'll find me there. Quite a look good for my mom, you know. Um, so you'll right. find me there on Instagram and Facebook. I'm there as Robert McBee. We have a private community. So if anybody's listening, it's a health expert or fitness professional. We have a free community. Because I'm such an open book, I give away way too much, uh, which kills my wife. I give away <laughs> way too much. And she's like, no, don't give it all away. <laughs> I give away way too much. Um, so we give like tons of stuff in there. Shoot me a DM. I can add you into it and you can just explore to your heart's content. Awesome. I'm so excited. Again, thank you so much for having this conversation with me and being here. And I, I look forward to like learning more from both of you. Well, do you want to know what? I now feel like I have another friend in New York. <laughs> Awesome. Listen, buddy, thank you so much for inviting me on your your show. It's been amazing. As always, I want to leave you with three affirmations. I accomplish my objectives every day. I boldly face every challenge that comes. I always fight for myself and for what I believe in. Thanks so much for listening. Talk soon.